AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of security trends and news. Full video of this program can be found on YouTube by searching for AT&T Threat Track. So John, you're bringing us a story about a tunneling tool from North Korea? Uh, that's right. So uh, Department of Homeland Security released a bulletin recently, and this is kind of more awareness for people, uh, give them some just heads up that this might be something that you want to look out for. Okay. But uh, they released a report. It's not bad. It goes into some explanation of this uh, tunneling tool yeah. that is called Electric Fish right. uh, that the North Koreans, or they believe it to be related to the North Korean actor set, um, uh, have been utilizing. And I took a look at it. It's kind of um, it's kind of like an advanced version of Netcat in a way. It allows you to kind of uh, set up a tunnel between two endpoints. Okay. Um, and the interesting part about it is that it also has features where it will allow you to um, set up a proxy in between. They're aware that this is probably going to be used in places where the only way out uh, to the internet is through a proxy. So that's kind of, to me, interesting. It's a custom protocol, and uh, there is a very specific signature to it. So um, if anybody has access to emerging threats, actually emerging threats, they're free uh, set of uh, signatures, does have a signature for this now. Okay. So I would say if you use Snort or if you use Suricata, um, you should be able to apply that signature if you use that in your, um, uh, in your network defense uh, setup. So when you mentioned like, that you took a look at it, like what, what are the things that you're looking at, I guess, particularly? So I tried running it, because I wanted to see what the protocol actually looks like when yeah. it's, uh, so I took two machines and set it up and okay. uh, tried to run it between the two. I believe, they don't really go into details in this report about it, um, that the sample they talk about in this article is the client side. Okay. I think there is a server side, because I tried running the client side on both sides, or whatever the one sample does not connect to each other. Oh, okay. They won't connect. Um, but if you run the client and just have some kind of netcat listener on your destination, you can see that initial preamble packet that they look for, which is very long and unique. Um, so that's like what the, is in the snort signature. Okay. Uh, some of the other interesting things I think I saw about it is that if the connection closes, the um, executable shuts down, so it doesn't have any persistence in the way it behaves. This is kind of probably just a tool that they use to, um, in an ad hoc way, tunnel, tunnel data back out uh, to whatever they need to, like for exfiltration purposes and whatnot, as opposed to a C2 thing. So if someone is using this tool within your company and something gets triggered, then they're not just trying to get stuff out, they are in doing something else, uh, so you want to figure out, okay, what, why is this in my traffic at all? Uh, definitely an interesting thing to keep an eye on, and I uh, just want to let people be aware that this report is out there. It's been getting a lot of press anyway, but I thought people should be um, aware that there are signatures out there for it if you use Snort, uh, so you might want to take a look and deploy those. Cool. John, real quick, when, when you fired up the, the client, were you able to find out, like, a destination? You know, is there a certain port? Is, is there anything like that you can go into detail about, or is it just it just wouldn't fire up because it was only the client side? No, so it's actually, the way this tool works, it's not like a piece of malware that calls home. So you run it and you pass in parameters of uh, where you want it to connect to. You know what I mean? Kind of like you would with a Netcat tool or something else. Um, so 
when you execute it, you pass like a dash S for your source IP with your source port, a dash D with your destination IP and the destination port. And then you could pass in additional parameters for like a proxy server port and IP address, okay. as well as a proxy user and password. Um, if, if you need to you know, pass it through a proxy. So it's really, it's a command line tool that an actor would use. It's not like a, right, okay. like a automated piece of malware or anything like that. Gotcha. It's got it's got no logic. It's just it's just a tool. Right. Right. It's a, a tool in their arsenal that they would use. Um, that would be a telltale sign that you have an issue. <laughs> you saw, someone was in there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, hopefully, a lot of people aren't going to see this really in the wild or in their networks at all. Uh, but it's probably good for everybody just to uh, make sure that they have a signature deployed for this to detect it um, and set it up to alert. Hey, Tony, I understand uh, you were looking to, into a story this week about some antivirus vendors that ran into a little trouble with their source code uh, being, I guess, hijacked or stolen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so th this article that I'm going to be speaking about, it, it deals with a uh, Russian hacker group called FXMSB. Uh, they've claimed that they have breached three different antivirus companies uh, very recently, and has acquired some of their data. So uh, the actors, they made two major claims with what they announced. Uh, the first one is that they have a uh, persistent remote access to these companies. Uh, the other one is that they have obtained source code for various security products for each of these companies. So items like the source code for their AV or their artificial intelligence models uh, web security software, and even some of their utilities. The real problem with that is if they look at that source code and find vulnerabilities or exploits or blind spots. The information is uh, being provided by a research security research firm called Advanced Intelligence, where what they've done is they've come across uh, some of the chat logs. Uh, that's where this is really interesting. There's a lot on, on, in the article about the chat logs that they've come across from the resellers and the actual group discussing their, um, what they've done, uh, what they're willing to sell, and some of the hurdles that they've, they've come across. Uh, in the chat logs, they actually talked about when they were going through and they were coming across files that the file extensions were named differently or there was no file extensions at all. So when they came across this, the software, it was very hard for them to decipher exactly what they had their hands on. Um, also, they had discussed that it, it took the group about six months to breach the companies, and they used two teams, one out of the U.S. and one out of Taiwan. And then finally... They're talking about how they're willing to sell the source code and what they found from these three different companies for about $300,000 a company. So, yeah, I, uh, you know, it was a really good article. I'd say check it out. So have they actually confirmed that it's true? Like, you know, it seems like a lot of threats, but is there proof? Like, have they said, okay, you got us, or has there been any announcements like that? Uh, when it comes down to the companies in question, uh, from the article that I read, there was no claims yet. So there was no official statements. We also don't know if the malicious actors uh, will 
actually a vibe to what they're saying, which is that if they get paid, they're not going to release this. Uh, one of the things I was noticing in their chat logs is uh, that they mention um, the use of TeamViewer and AnyDesk, hmm. which are remote desktop tools. And um, apparently some of these companies uh, allow that through their firewall because they use it legitimately within the company. So, um, you know, that's one of those things where it gets really tricky when you have these remote desktop solutions that are cloud-based, uh, especially when you use them legitimately. And those are two legitimate, perfectly legitimate companies, but the bad actors were smart enough to use the same um, remote desktop type tools that that company was already using, their target was already using, so they could blend in with normal traffic. Right. And um, right, you yeah, you use something else, and all of a sudden alarms will start popping. But if you use the same thing that they're using, it's just normal traffic. Yeah, it makes sense. Why install a bunch of tools when the the system comes with what you need already? Right. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, interesting story. Um, and you know, not just antivirus companies are targeted. Uh, by this type of thing. It looks like this one was a very specifically targeted, like that was their motivation, was to get into mm -hmm. these specific antivirus vendors. But, um, you know, it's always good to learn how one actor behaves, because they all, a lot of them do similar things. So you can learn from one actor right. set, um, uh, even if it's not the same one attacking you. What I would recommend people do is take a look at some of the articles out there about this, find out if your AV vendor is impacted by it uh, to find out you know, whether or not you're impacted as a result of that because you use all their products. Hey, Jonathan, I heard you have a credential vulnerability thing that you want to talk about when dealing with Alpine? That is correct. So um, I won't get into where like, Docker and containers and images are, but but in the world of Docker containers, mm -hmm. there is a Linux base image uh, that is called Alpine. Now, the main reason it's used often is because it's tiny. I mean, it's really tiny. It's I want to say like less than 10 megabytes in size, um, and it's basically designed for a lot of these little, lower-powered embedded devices. So it's very popular. Uh, the, the research team at Cisco Talos has brought us a report that appears that the, since December 2015, there has been a vulnerability where in this shadow file in, in Linux, mm -hmm. uh, the password field was empty. So there's nothing in there, which to Linux, that means that there's actually, you can use the root as a login but there is no yeah, password. It might not prompt for a password yes, or accept just It's just empty password, yeah. right, right. Um, so they discover that since, the, you know, since 2015, uh, this has been in every uh, version of the Alpine Linux uh, Docker image. Okay, uh, but only in the Docker image, that's not correct. in the main Alpine. Yeah, if you, correct. If you install Alpine outside the Docker images, I believe the vulnerability is not there. Okay. Um, also, because of the way Alpine is it's built, uh, by default, this actually is not a vulnerability at all. It's only if you install certain things. Like, for example, if you use uh, Linux uh, PAM, uh, mm -hmm. which is, uh, I think, is like a pluggable authentication, authentication module. modules, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, so if you're using that to for certain services and applications, and you didn't check your shadow file, then it's possible that you exposed your system 
to just be having root as right a, it could be with no password just log in right right um, or if you have any other authentication mechanism that uses a shadow file right I would say if you're a developer or vendor and you use uh, docker and Alpine uh, you should definitely assess what your impact might be it all depends on what you're doing with that Alpine image once you uh, use it. The, the main thing here is to know that they've patched it. So if you are using Alpine Linux Docker image, go ahead and update to the latest. Um, and for some reason you can't, it's actually, the fix is quite easy. You know, you just go into the shadow file and add either, I think it's an exclamation mark or an asterisk where the password is supposed to be. And uh, most, all applications and services know that that means that it's not a legit password, so it just won't use root as a login, right? And uh, uh, yeah, that's... So <coughs> I could see that there's probably a lot of people who when they're doing their development, they're doing that in a Docker container yeah. with the Alpine image, doing their development, working out whatever they want this thing to actually do, yeah. testing it in a development slash test environment like that. And there could be some scenarios where they take whatever's in that Docker image and they bring that over to the embedded device. Interesting. Um, and then now you're introducing, potentially introducing, right. um, you know, hardware, these embedded hardware appliances out into the field right. or into the world, the internet, uh, that have um, maybe SSH running and if you just hit them and run root, hit type root and you get right into them. Right. So, and believe me, that's not, I don't know about with Alpine, but I know that's happened with a lot of devices out there on the internet, especially in the IoT space. So um, uh, it would not be, it would not surprise me at all if that was uh, a scenario that could have, you know, come about as part of this. John, you had brought up um, it being on embedded devices out there in the uh, IoT uh, world. Um, if that is, if your theory holds, which I'm, I'm sure it does, do you foresee a new botnet coming out? Oh, I mean, certainly if the if you know people have done this, and I know there's plenty of other devices not running on under Alpine that are in a similar type of situation that have either you know default passwords of like root root or root admin or whatever. Um, that yeah, I mean, if that scenario arose and there was a large deployment of devices that did not have a password on the root account because of this, I guarantee you that somebody would form a botnet out of that. <laughs> I, I would right. not even bet, my, bet money on that, because, um, uh, but I don't think we have any information to say that that is the case. I don't know what types of hardware out there might be using Alpine as their, or you know, be, might be using this type of, uh, my scenario, where they deploy or they test under a Docker image right. and then take the stuff out of the Docker uh, image and, and push that into their embedded image uh, mm -hmm. on some embedded hardware somewhere. Um, right. So, but certainly if somebody did make that mistake, I guarantee you somebody would make a botnet out of those things, right. um, for sure. It's likely that you're not actually doing something that would make you vulnerable, but just for the sake of completeness, either patch or, or fix the issue uh, in your base images. All right, Jonathan, I know we've had a lot of weird, wacky weather in reality here with a lot of rain <laughs> lately, but um, the weather report for this week is pretty typical of what we've seen previously. There's a couple of things we'll point out that kind of jumped out this week, but nothing new maliciously. Right. Um, so this is the most pro ports one, and I've um, 
I've flagged port 8089 TCP. This is not typically up in the top 10. Right. So uh, we'll take a look at what that actually looks like. And then um, 3306 went up 23 positions, so that's pretty significant. Um, we'll take a look at what that looks like as well. Uh, some of these other ports we talk about all the time, uh, and they're pretty well known. Uh, in terms of the most sources probing, again, not a lot of change here. Things maybe went up and down a position or two, um, and we've talked about a lot of these before, so I'll just kind of go over them really quickly. You know, you have 445 TCP, which is mostly WannaCry, or some of these other ones that are exploiting that same vulnerability that WannaCry was exploiting. Right. The 23 TCP is Telnet. 8080 TCP, mostly related to the QNAP vulnerability that came out, I want to say, sometime last year. Uh, QNAP is a network attached storage, and uh, 8080 TCP is very popular for lots of different right. web applications, especially as an administrative port a lot of times, like for Tomcat. Um, but in large part, when I look at our scanning activity, it's mostly for QNAP. Okay. Um, QNAP is the name of the company there. Uh, you've got web, you've got some ICMP, which is this backscatter traffic or probably not related. Uh, the 5555 TCP is actually like a, a SOAP vulnerability, uh, TR69 type vulnerability. Uh, I forget what type of device it was again, although we've talked about it on the show before. Yeah. 5431 is the Broadcom vulnerability. 81 TCP is web, and then Microsoft SQL Server, uh, 1433 uh, TCP at the bottom. So this is port 8089 TCP, alternate web. Uh, the thing that kind of stands out to me here is that we're looking at a 180-day chart here, and you can see that there, there's spikes on a very regular basis, and I confirm these are kind of those scanners that, uh, security research scanners who uh, will frequently uh, scan the internet on a regular basis, so that's what's going on in these regular spikes that you're seeing here. The other traffic is other people, and we can see that there's some other people that are getting more interested in this port for whatever reason. Um, when I've looked at uh, what we actually see in our honeypots, um, it's not really clear uh, what they're looking for or what anybody's looking for. Um, the, there is a known remote code execution exploit against Splunk, uh, against the Splunk universal forwarded, forwarder on this port, um, but the scanning I see doesn't bear out that they're looking for that. Now, could, could this potentially also end up being like some botnet actor typoed and made to do 8080 or something, you know? Like does it could be, <laughs> but when I look at the sources involved, so first of all, this is on scan probes. Right. So this is by volume of probing activity, not by the number of sources Got involved. It. So typically when we see a botnet involved, it's gonna have a lot more sources. And when I looked at this, it's like maybe 20 or 30 different sources that I see okay. uh, in a given day. It's not a whole lot of sources, but they're just very active. They're very noisy. Right? So um, anyway, uh, something to keep an eye out. I, I did grab a couple of samples here. Okay. Um, these are the types of things we see in our honeypot, okay. and we see that they're trying to just get slash. The only thing that kind of stood out to me is that it was HTTP 1.0, which is kind of unusual. Okay. Usually you'll see 1.1. One, yeah. um, and then there's another type that we saw also scanning for this port, uh, where it passes in the pound or hash ST, and I don't know what that means, and I couldn't figure that out, but what I did notice is that these IPs here are the same IPs that are right here. Interesting. So they're scanning for both of those in the different, you know, 
they're doing two passes. You actually see 2042, he did the get, and at 2041, actually earlier, he did the pound ST hmm. uh, query on a different you know, ephemeral port here. So it's two separate sessions. So I don't know what that means, um, but there's something going on there. I will say that all these ones, that all these source IPs I'm listing here, they're actual source IPs, but these are another good guy scanner group. Kind of not, it's not Census or Shodan, but it's another one like that. Uh, 3306, when I took a look at this, there really wasn't a significant change that I see in the shape uh, of the traffic. We do see spikes here, which again are the same. We're only looking at a 90 day chart, by the way, this time, so that's why the, they look a little bit um, wider. But these are like the normal good guys, I say good guys, security researchers, scanning, et cetera. There was a little bit of a gap for some reason in there. And we do see maybe more than usual, and I think that's why, um, you know, that's why we, uh, we picked it up in our alerting this time, or it raised up 23 spots. Uh, when I actually looked in our uh, honeypots, I don't see anything exceptionally unusual about that scanning activity. So I think this is just a weird hiccup in our data, or actually in the activity where we had kind of this regular pattern, but for some reason this past yeah, few days right. here, um, when the security researchers scanned, they did it a little bit more than they normally do. They were busy watching Game of Thrones, so. Yeah, maybe. So they came back and. Yeah, they missed it the <laughs> previous <laughs> week there. So not, nothing uh, obvious to me about, um, uh, about malicious intent necessarily. It looks like it's pretty consistent with previous weeks. Uh, so the one thing I did want to mention that I talked about last month when I did the internet weather is 9001 TCP. Uh, I, this is from last month when we did the internet weather. I talked about this, that we saw all this scanning on port 9001 TCP. And you could see it went from, again, you had this regular pattern, little spikes here and there, but it went like consistently steady. And I said, well, we should probably watch to see what happens here. Um, and when I looked at it last month, we saw tons of source, uh, tons of the traffic was sourcing from Bulgaria and Latvia, um, as opposed to the quiet periods. So most of it was coming from those two parts of the world, and which are very close together. I think they're probably next to each other. So it could even be just one location. Um, but when we look at this week, or recent history, you can see that it actually st stopped. Huh. So for the most part, it's gone back to normal, although I will say, the spiking here is definitely closer than it used to be before. Right. And I didn't really get a chance to look into why that might be. Um, but whatever was involved here, the Bulgaria-Latvian stuff, mm -hmm. if you took that all away, you would probably get that same, same pattern. You right. know what I mean? Um, so they seem to have done whatever they were scanning for and stopped. Um, not quite sure what they were up to. I'm gonna guess it's probably related to Tor, but I'm not positive. And I think that's all I did for this uh, this this month or this week. Um, the other stuff, you know, we've seen time in and time out. So I think we there's no change really relatively. Uh, so I was kind of point out the stuff that I thought was more unusual for the past couple uh, past week or the differences from the past month and now. So cool, thank you. All right. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.